Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those who can never know enough about history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're talking about an enduring symbol of classical Greece and one of the most celebrated buildings in human history, the Parthenon of Ancient Athens. The day was March 9th, 432 BC. The newly completed Parthenon was dedicated to the Greek goddess Athena. The imposing marble temple was part of the Acropolis of Athens, an ancient citadel built on a rocky outcrop overlooking the city. Due to its durable materials and precise construction, the Parthenon survived centuries of earthquakes, fires, wars, and looting. It's a little worse for wear today, but thanks to ongoing restoration efforts, the temple is still standing. It's now one of the most recognized structures on Earth, and millions of visitors make the pilgrimage to see it each year, many of whom don't even believe in Athena. The Parthenon that stands today is the same one that was consecrated in the year 432, but it was preceded by an earlier structure, now known as the Older Parthenon. That original temple stood on the same site as the current Parthenon, but it was never fully finished. That's likely because the Persian Empire invaded Athens in 480 BC, destroying much of the city, including the unfinished temple. The Persians kept the Athenians pretty busy for the next 30 years or so, leaving them little time for rebuilding. But around 449, a renowned Athenian statesman named Pericles was able to negotiate peace with the king of Persia. Shortly after, Pericles launched an extensive building program designed to transform the hill of the Acropolis, the high point of the city, into a monument to Athenian wealth, power, and culture. And as the centerpiece of his grand building campaign, Pericles commissioned a replacement temple for the city's patron deity, Athena, the goddess of wisdom, warfare, and fine art. 
Construction on the Parthenon began in 447 BC and took about 15 years to finish. An estimated 100,000 tons of marble was used in the project, all of which had to be mined from a quarry about 10 miles outside of Athens. Once it was extracted, the marble was loaded into wagons and transported up the steep incline of the Acropolis. When the raw marble finally reached the build site, it was then carved and trimmed by hand into approximately 13,400 blocks. The smooth blocks were then fitted together without the use of mortar, a feat that may have been accomplished through the use of ropes, pulleys, and wooden cranes. It was a meticulous and time-intensive process to perfectly carve and position each block, but nearly 2,500 years on, it's hard to argue with the results. The Parthenon wasn't built solely to honor the goddess Athena. It was also a way to assert the cultural superiority of Athens over its fellow city-states. At the time, the Parthenon was the largest and most ornate temple on the Greek mainland. It was brilliantly designed, expertly crafted, and adorned with dozens of intricate marble figures and sculpted panels. Those larger-than-life compositions extolled the myths, values, and beliefs of Athens, and they also cost a fortune to make. In that way, the Parthenon was an expression of Athenian wealth, culture, skill, and creativity. A monument not just to Athena, but to Athens itself. That sense of grandeur was also reflected in the temple's location at the peak of the Acropolis. Towering above the city, the Parthenon could be seen from almost any angle by the people below. All they had to do was glance skyward, and the greatness of their city would be reaffirmed. That said, the Parthenon was still a temple to Athena, and as such, its most awe-inspiring feature was devoted to her. Inside the main chamber of the Parthenon stood an enormous wooden statue of the goddess, said to be nearly 40 feet tall. Ivory was layered onto the statue to represent the visible parts of Athena's flesh, and thousands of pounds of gold were carefully sculpted to represent her dress, armor, and jewelry. The imposing statue was known as the Athena Parthenos, aka Athena the Maiden or Athena the Virgin and it's from that title that the Parthenon gets its name. A renowned sculptor named Phidias is believed to have created the statue, and he was also the general overseer of the entire Acropolis building campaign. He worked on the design for the Parthenon with two architects, Ictinus and Callicrates, but it was Phidias himself who led the project. As a result, the sculptor's influence is evident throughout the temple, not just in the lifelike reliefs that adorn it, but in the very walls, columns, and steps that make it up. Famously, the Parthenon contains no straight lines or right angles. It may look perfectly straight and symmetrical from a distance, an illusion that may have been by design, but if you look up close, you'll see that all its walls and columns are slightly tapered, giving them a subtle curvature, almost as if they're bulging. According to classical scholar Jeffrey Hurwitt, the result is a building that evokes the form of a statue. In an interview with PBS, he explained the effect, saying, quote, These deviations from the straight, from the perpendicular, from the perfectly vertical, from the perfectly horizontal, are analogous to the curvatures and the swellings and the irregularities of the human body. And in that sense, the Parthenon strikes me as being a sculptural as well as an architectural achievement. 
Unfortunately, most Athenians didn't get the chance to fully appreciate that achievement up close. Although the Parthenon was considered the center of religious life in Athens, only a handful of priests and other religious figures were allowed inside of it. Everyone else, including Pericles, had to settle for a view from the second step, which was as close as they were allowed to get. That said, even the clergy didn't get to enjoy the temple in peace for very long. Just a year or so after its completion, the Peloponnesian War broke out, and Athens was once again plunged into a long and draining conflict. The war between Athens, Sparta, and their respective allies lasted until 403 BC, when Athens was finally defeated after the Persian Empire lent its support to Sparta. The fighting had wiped out entire cities and upended centuries of religious and cultural traditions, effectively reshaping the ancient Greek world. And so, the brief golden age of Athens was over, and the Parthenon became an ever-present reminder of all that had been lost. In the centuries that followed, the Temple of Athena was co-opted by multiple different religions and was used in turn as a Byzantine church, a Roman Catholic cathedral, and a mosque. The latter happened when the Ottoman Empire seized control of Athens in the mid-1400s. Two centuries later, the Ottoman Turks converted the Parthenon into an ammunition depot during their war with the Venetians. That decision is the major reason why the Parthenon is in the ruined state it is today. In 1687, the attackers bombarded the Acropolis with cannon fire, and one of the blasts ignited the gunpowder stored inside the temple. The resulting explosion destroyed the main chamber of the building and caused extensive structural damage throughout. In the 1820s, the battle-scarred Parthenon was used as an army barracks during Greece's war for independence. A decade later, the Greeks defeated the Ottoman Empire, and the Parthenon was left empty once again. Many of its surviving features were further damaged both by looters and by the elements, but thankfully, the temple's marble friezes and other sculptures were removed and shipped to London for safekeeping. Restoration efforts then began in the late 19th century, when the Parthenon assumed its current role as a world-famous tourist destination. However, the Greek government didn't fully back the project until the 1970s, when it appointed an archaeological committee called the Acropolis Restoration Project. Under the direction of Greek architect Manolis Kores, the committee made a record of every relic in the ruins, and then used computer mapping to identify each piece's original location. This allowed them to rebuild damaged portions of the temple using much of the original marble, and in cases where that wasn't possible, the team filled the gaps with new marble, mined from the same quarry that the ancient Athenians had used. That painstaking restoration lasted more than 40 years, and some renovations remain ongoing today. The goal isn't to restore the Parthenon to its full former glory. It will always remain a partial ruin, reflecting the complete story of its long, tumultuous history, rather than just its glory days. The decision to leave it incomplete seems like the right one, as there would be plenty of guesswork involved in a total restoration. For instance, we know that the Parthenon sculptures and other parts of the structure weren't always the gleaming white color they are today. Traces of pigment found during laser cleaning of the Parthenon reveal that it was once painted with vivid colors, including shades of blue, red, and green. However, 
Two and a half thousand years of sunlight and weathering bleached away all that color, and now it would be virtually impossible to recreate the exact shades and placement. Another missing piece that would have to be made from scratch is the Athena Parthenos statue. It disappeared at some point in late antiquity, and most historians believe it was likely destroyed completely. We do have a good idea of how the statue looked, though, thanks to surviving Roman replicas. Still, recreating it would be a tall order, and could never match the original exactly. Some sculptures from the Parthenon are still housed at the British Museum, despite Greece's requests to have them returned, and many other artifacts are on display at the nearby Acropolis Museum in Athens. But if your heart is really set on seeing a full-sized Athena statue, you're going to want to skip Greece and Rome and instead take a trip to Nashville, Tennessee. For reasons we'll save for another day, the city is home to full-scale replicas of both the original Parthenon and the Athena Parthenos statue. So while the Athens of the South doesn't have the history of its Mediterranean cousin, it does offer an arguably more complete picture of its most famous landmark, and all within walking distance of the world's finest hot chicken. Athens, eat your heart out. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can drop me a line directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.